All the way from Topeka, Kansas, Dave Legoo joins us for another episode of Bridging the Gap. Dave is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Advisors Excel. Dave and I start the conversation by talking about the importance of letting go. He helps to open my eyes based on some small wins that he has seen of people who have let go of aspects of their wealth management firms and how successful it made them. He also talks about a couple of tips to help start letting go. This is one of those things that we can all benefit from, whether it's in our professional life or personal life. But we also, Dave and I, dig into a fun conversation around the sales processes to selling wealth management services to individuals and the power of having thinking time. And we also talk about the importance of having your workflows documented, something that's so near and dear to my heart and how I think about building successful wealth management firms. We dig into all of it. It was an awesome conversation with Dave. So let's welcome Dave Lagoo to Bridging the Gap. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Dave Lagoo from Topeka, Kansas. Welcome to Bridging the Gap. I probably butchered the last name, even though we tried to sound it out, but... Dave L, great to have you on, man. Really excited about the conversation. How are you? How's Topeka? How's life? How's the family? Oh, thanks, Matt. No, you actually nailed it on the last name there. So thank you. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll take it. Yeah. It's good out here in Kansas. Mid-June in the summer, the, the Great Plains are pretty getting pretty toasty this time of year. You know, I was just in Chicago recently and temperatures were getting up to levels that they've never seen really before. So, yeah, it it can be hot in the Midwest and in the Plains. Mm -hmm. Now, were you born and raised in Topeka or did work draw you out there? What drew you to Topeka? Work work drew me to Topeka, but I was born and raised over in Kansas City, which is about an hour away. So I've always been here in between Kansas and Missouri area, Midwest. And I'll, I'll tell you, we talked about it before we got on the podcast. I think it's the most confused. I'm a Southern boy, very simple person. <laughs> Kansas City, I thought was in Kansas, but uh, there is a Kansas City in Missouri, and it throws me off every time. I don't know why y'all do it that way. Why can't you, you know, Kansas have Kansas City and Missouri have something else? Why can't they just be different? Huh? Why do they have to be yeah. the same? I'm not a history buff. I think it has something to do with a river named the Kansas River and all that, maybe something like that. <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable well we're not going to be talking about history or, or rivers today oh, but you know i yeah thank goodness for our listeners for both of us but uh we are going to talk about you know the wealth management industry you work over at advisors excel you do a ton of stuff there helping advisors right helping them grow helping them with their mm-hmm. processes recruiting them over to the firm so you have a perspective that's unique and that's what i'm really excited about is growth is a big thing sales helps with growth mm-hmm. and that's a big challenge in the industry marketing helps with growth but then operational efficiencies allows for a client experience so we're going to dig into all that i'm really stoked about that but mm-hmm. before we do that I'm curious, and I ask this question every guest, and I probably ask it the same way if you listen to the podcast over time, is this industry, it's a great industry. I love it. I have a passion for it. And so I can joke about it. But what led you to this industry? Like, were you were you growing up and being like, I want to be a financial advisor? Like, or not being a financial advisor, but being in wealth management. What led you to this space? The answer to that question, we I'm reminded of a couple of days ago, we had a panel of a few of our offices that we work with, just sharing best practices from stage. It, it was a very similar question. And one guy was about to answer and he just got choked up, started kind of getting weepy up on stage, just about the families that doing good work in this industry, the families he has just immensely blessed, you know, people who are able to retire earlier than they thought 
and they didn't expect it, but two years into that retirement that they got earlier, um, you know, let's say the husband passes away from a heart attack unexpectedly, you know, and so they're able to spend those two years together that they wouldn't have if not for the good work of people in our industry. There's just a lot of opportunity to do good. And I think finances can be so confusing. There's just so much out there that is shiny, looks like shiny objects with investments and where, where to put your money. And there's people out there who honestly are selling things that maybe aren't don't have the highest caliber of character and aren't actually out there for the client's best interest. And so if you can get out there and be a force for good in this industry, it's not just that you're you're not doing bad work, you're doing very good work. And I think that's one thing that drew me to this industry. I love helping financial advisors because I think in that I'm just helping so many people. I don't even get to see, but I try to help financial advisors who have a high level of character, who are driven, who are in growth mode. And so I just, I love that about it. I love seeing lots of lives impacted. Did you start out after graduation in college or did you enter college with the mindset that this was the industry that you felt you could have the biggest impact on others in? Is that where your mind was at, at that point in your life? Yeah, I've always had a, even in school, I've always had a fondness for marketing and for economics and for what draws people to buy and just how all that works. Honestly, the economics classes in college, I, I didn't appreciate as much as I do. I would now. Often I wish, oh, I could go back. I wish I could go back to business school and just like, I didn't even know the treasures I had there being actually out in, out here in the real world. But I got out of college and I did a whole bunch of different things. I, I tried some finance jobs. I did some bookkeeping type of jobs and went all over the place. I worked at my church for a while, actually. And then I ended up a few years ago doing what I do now, working with independent financial advisors in a coaching role and been doing that for seven or eight years now. I've been at Advisors Excel for five. But what I what I really do is I kind of, you could call it a, a curation. I coach advisors, I meet with advisors, and I learn from advisors. And I'm able to take, hey, this guy, you know, he's doing this thing over here that's working really well to bring in new clients, or this technology is really working for him. And if I have another guy I'm talking to, I'm able to pivot that over and kind of have this mastermind effect. So it's yeah. cool being able to have kind of a 30,000 foot view of a bunch of different financial advisors. And that's where I've been for the better part of the last decade. And it's been, I don't, I don't see myself ever uh, stepping out of this type of world. It's so fun. I love that. The, the colleague or the advisor that you're talking about, like that got emotional to the good work that advisors do that, that changes their lives. Hmm. Uh, it, it resonates being an advisor, you know, myself, like I, that's the passion. This family I've talked to recently, they came in, they wanted to buy their next home and the lady just had breast cancer and she's like, should I buy the house? And I'm like, yeah, you don't know tomorrow's going to be happening, right? You buy, you gotta go buy a house. Let's figure out how to make it happen. But as advisors, we do so much good. I think that the challenge that we have, and this kind of leads to like the sales aspect of how do you help people to understand that value? How do you help uh, other prospects and, and potential prospects understand that you're not just a stockbroker, you're not just an investment guy, that you actually impact lives and you do good? I, that is a tough thing. So I'm curious, like as you talk to these advisors, as you coach them and as you navigate them, the ones especially that are looking to grow, how do we help advisors relay that message of value that they're providing, which is immense? I would say to answer that question, I, I have seen a number of advisors who are good people. You know, they have big hearts. They're not only in it for the bottom dollar and for, the, for themselves. They want to make a difference. But um, you make a good point. I think there's a disconnect in how to, how to connect with people. And I think if you have the heart and the ability to make real connections, 
you can make a huge impact if you have the heart for it. But it's just training on how to make these connections. A lot of times I think there's potential that is not yet put out there in the world, a lot of good that can put out in the world. So the advisors I've seen who do make a huge impact, a sweeping impact, and and really are able to uh, scale what they do, first of all, they're able to cast a vision of that heart to not just themselves. You know, Usually they'll have a, a good team that isn't just a bunch of people who follow their orders. A lot of times it's hard for these independent advisors I work with to be able to hand off anything. They think if it's going to be done right, I've got to do it myself. But if they can have a team of people who they trust to hand off and, and can carry this vision, your impact can be huge. And a couple of practical things that I've seen in just in having your message be something that people connect with. If people listen to this podcast, hear this, I hope these are a couple of things that I would log away, write down, you know, save as a note on your phone. But these advisors who have great impact in these mastermind sessions we do, I've heard from stage the best advisors don't talk about what they're looking for in a client. Let's say they're doing a, a presentation to a bunch of potential clients. So let's say they're on the radio or let's say they're doing digital marketing. They don't, their, their message isn't, hey, this is what we look for in clients. The messaging more pivots towards, this is what our clients expect of us. And they list this amount of things of, you know, we, we provide excellent planning for, for a plan, not just a portfolio. Our clients can expect from us that we're going to be there for them when times get tough. They're going to have a plan and we have stress tested that plan. I could list the examples to no end here, Matt, but don't talk about, hey, this is what we look for in a client. Talk about, hey, this is what our clients can expect from us. And if you do that correctly, you're going to draw on the type of people that you want to work with that best match the strengths of your firm. Give us another one. I want that because that's so good. Give us another one. I would say don't just sell to fear. I think it's easy right now, especially right now in our uh, in the market we're finding ourselves in, in this in this to sell to folks fear. But if you can, yeah, be honest and talk about how these are trying times and a lot of people are seeing decreases in, in their 401ks and life savings or, you know, it seems like more at risk than before. But even still, always sell to people's aspirations. We'll know what your potential client wants is, is what I would say, not just what are they afraid of. And show, paint a picture of how you're able to give them exactly what they are desiring. And then you'll have a client for life, I think. And the, the third thing I would say is before you ever go out there in the world and market, Sit down with your team. If you have a leadership team, sit down with them. If you have, if it's just you and a, and you know maybe a, a spouse that can run a small business, or sit down and paint a picture of what does your ideal client look like. Not just in terms of dollar amounts, but paint a picture of an avatar client. What's their character like? What are they like when they call in and talk to your staff? You paint a picture of that type of person, and then all of a sudden you can kind of go back from that to figure out how to market and how to build a client base. <laughs> That's so good there. Uh, there's a few things I take away there, right? Cast a vision of that heart and it's about a team. It's a team approach. This is actually a flaw that I've had where I was there and I still find myself at that time where I think I have to do everything for my yeah. client to see the value that I provide. I have to do everything and be on everything, which is the complete wrong way to think is mm -hmm. and this podcast is one of them right like when i let that go i thought i had to do everything the scheduling the, everything all of that but once i let that go this podcast has flourished a lot better because people can do it better than me uh from that standpoint and, and us as advisors we feel we have that sense of control which we don't need and if you have the right team and the right people that care about the vision and the mission it's going to feed to the client. It's going to be so powerful beyond your wildest dreams. And everybody talks about delegation, but it's just, it's hard. I mean, have you seen anything work 
to help people overcome that, right? Like I'm asking for myself. I'm asking for a friend who's me. Mm-hmm. Like, let's sit down and have a conversation. I'll sit on the couch. I'm ready to go. Have you seen anybody have some of those small wins that, that have success with letting go to get that benefit of power? I have. It, it takes work. I mean, you have to focus on it. You have to put in some time. There's a couple ways I can think of. The first is if you're a financial advisor and you're having a hard time getting rid of tasks, look at what you would pay someone per hour to do anything you do in a day. One activity we have our advisors do is throughout an entire week of their job, write down almost everything they do every single day. Write down what they do and first thing when they're in the office, what are they doing all day? Like I've even known of some advisors to hire somebody or pay someone extra on the side to come in and just track everything they do for a whole week and then put that in one list and then look at it and say, okay, which of these things am I passionate about? Which of these things am I good at? And then go through it again and say, which of these things do I not care about? And which of these things am I honestly pretty bad at? After you do that exercise, you might have a job description Mm. that you want to put out there, right? Um, There's a great book, and I'm not going to take credit for this, but if you've ever heard of uh, Michael Hyatt, he has a book called Free to Focus. I read it a couple years ago, and in, in it, you go through an activity like that of figuring out what you're passionate about and proficient in and how to delegate or eliminate or automate anything that doesn't fall into that category. Um, So if you can have that kind of focus and definition, a lot of times we just show up to work and show up at our our offices and just try and just respond all day. But if you can take a step back and go, okay, what what am I best at? Let's say even some advisors, you know, $1,000 an hour work. Where am I having the best leverage? And where can I either eliminate or delegate or automate the rest of it? Yeah, that's so good. Free to Focus by Michael Hyde. I love that. And I love that exercise, right? And it's hard to do on your own. You have to have an accountability partner to help you with that because I've tried it on my own and it's really difficult. So it's hard. It's good to have like an accountability partner there. Another thing that you mentioned earlier was sell to the aspiration, paint a picture. Yeah. And I think that this is something that advisors that I've seen, the great ones are really good at and it's storytelling. And it's an idea of, of being a true marketer and telling a story. And they may not be that great from an investment management standpoint, but they're great at telling a story and getting people bought in. And they're not doing it to deceive anybody. I think that sometimes people see if like you're if you're a good storyteller, you're just trying to deceive someone to do something. That's not it. It's a matter of helping someone to align to a mission to better themselves. And if we can mm-hmm. do that with storytelling, which is so great and powerful, to paint that picture, it can be beneficial and it can be powerful to, to helping people reach their financial goals and dreams and desires. My question to you is to individuals that may not be good storytellers, that are data people. That's how a lot of mm-hmm. us are, analytical in nature. And it's hard to be creative and obscure, I guess, what you need to be to be a good storyteller at times. What tactics, if any, and if not, that's okay, but what tactics have you seen be really effective to help those that may not be great at storytelling become great storytellers? Because I think it's something, unless you think it's different, I think it's something you can learn is to be a really good storyteller. I know it is. So that's one thing we do with our advisors is we'll sit down with them. And especially if we have advisors who do like seminars of some kind to either for their current clients they work with or to bring in new clients, dinner seminars or some kind of educational event at like a community college to talk about something to bring in potential clients. Though Those who base their presentations on story just have a higher connection rate than those who base their, their whole presentation on just data and facts or fear even. Because as humans for thousands of years, story has been what has connected all of us. So Mm. even if we're data-driven people, 
nobody is not story driven. You know, everyone has, even if you're data driven, even data tells stories. So how we coach our advisors and just some ways that folks can get stronger in that is take the time, get alone. And I would say, write, like write some stories down that matter to you. It takes some soul searching. And if you have somebody that you trust, it's very helpful sometimes to just dialogue about it, go back and forth and back and forth, kind of like pseudotherapy. But you might get to a nugget that helps reveal your passion for what you're doing that also would communicate to your clients that you're not just seeing them as a, as a dollar sign, as a bottom, as adding to their bottom line, adding to your book of AUM. You know, you're seeing them as someone actually that you can help because you care about this because of ABC story. So everyone has a story. It's more, you just got to look for it. And I, I would tell anybody that I'm coaching on this topic or that, you know, our team is coaching. If you don't think you have a story, it just means you haven't looked long enough for it because it's there. Mm. Everyone's got family around them. Everyone's got loved ones around them. And, and a lot of times, the more, to a degree, if you can be vulnerable in the right way when telling these stories, it might be a challenge for you at the beginning. But vulnerability, a lot of times, builds trust. You're going to attract the kind of people that, that you want to have in your business if you're vulnerable like that. You bring up vulnerable, and that was actually kind of where I wanted to go with this, because to your point of like finding that story, everybody has that yeah. story. You have family. like You've been through experiences before. Is there a element that people can be too vulnerable? Is there a balance? Can you be too vulnerable? I mean, this is a people business. Mm -hmm. You got to build a relationship. It can't be just one side where you learn everything about the other person and they don't learn anything about you. That's just not a relationship. And I think about marketers and I was listening to a, a podcast with Gary Vee and he was talking about how he's very private and he doesn't like to share some of that stuff. And I get that for that, it, for what he does. But I think for what we do, I think you have to be vulnerable. Like, and, but can you be too vulnerable? I guess that's the question. Yeah, I see that. I think that's why it's good to have a sounding board when you're working on these stories. Have a sounding board. Someone will tell you if you're being, if it's like, oh, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> but also think about, like, think about who's hearing your story. There's a financial advisor that I know that opens every single seminar and, and client event they do that if they're doing to a new group of people. The story that they tell is about when their parents divorced when they were a little little child and how they had to go live with their mother and a grandparent. They describe it in good detail, talk about how she sitting at the top of the stairs, here's their parents, you know, arguing. And as a child, they could sense things were going to change. And then at the very end of the presentation, they tie in how the grandmother had a good financial plan. And how it was able to bless their whole family. So the, the story had a purpose. She was being vulnerable, but it's not just vulnerability for vulnerability's sake. I mean, you don't you don't just want to get get up there and air your dirty laundry to a bunch of strangers. Obviously, no one wants to do that, and that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. But I think that everyone has a story that matters. You know, everyone has a story that people can connect with. It just depends on you. Just gotta you gotta think about who's hearing the story. And yeah. what would it mean to someone else? And a lot of times if you share your story with those people who you trust and love around you in your life, they'll be honest with you about whether or not it's the kind of thing you're looking for here. That's a really great point. When you nail a story and you get it and it works well, you become so good at telling it that mm -hmm. your enthusiasm and you start weaving in different aspects of it. And it's just, it is powerful when you have a story 
and you see the people's light eyes like, ah, I get it. And there, there is just power behind that. I want to shift gears for a second because I, I don't want to run out of time before we get to it because you help advisors overcome problems or challenges, let's call them, not problems, just challenges in really three areas, marketing, sales, process, and operations. I, I want to mm-hmm. talk about sales process for a second. We've talked about a little bit of marketing and also sales, but the sales process, to me, it's like, all right, well, they come in, I talk to them, I see if they sign up. That's it. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the way it is. In any type of sale, you have to have a process. And and we have to get over the sense that this is a sale. We're, mm-hmm. This is a sale. Even though it's a service, mm-hmm. it's a sale and it's a relationship. So when you talk about sales process, like how do you see the sales process when it comes to selling the service of wealth management? So the advisors that we work with, we work with folks who are already established financial advisors. You know, we, we don't work with folks who are brand new coming off the street. So what we, a lot of times what we tell our clients, which are these financial advisors, is you want to have a sales process. Congratulations, you already do. Everyone has a process already. <laughs> Everyone has a process to do. A lot of times people don't document it at all. And so that's another, we go back to our earlier conversation here. That's another reason why folks have a hard time scaling is because they don't really know what they do. They usually just have the knack. There's some statistic that 90 plus percent of people who try to get into our industry fail. And those who make it typically make it because they've got the knack. They've got this innate ability to connect with people or to deal with the numbers in a way you're actually solving real problems. And a lot of times they just kind of approach it, but they don't have it documented. And so I would say the first step we do in helping an advisor identify their sales process is what do you already do? And and let's get into the weeds. Even if it's different, it's probably only a a few different ways you do it. You maybe have this way you do it with a certain type of client. If an engineer comes in and they need a ton of information, you have to do five appointments before they'll become your client or whatever. The process you have is it's already there. It already works. Let's document it. And then once you have it documented, you can, first of all, you can brand it. You can name it. You can tell your clients we have a specific process and in, in marketing wise, you can put it out there. You could, you could send it out before a first appointment. Hey, here's what you can expect. So there's benefit there, but also what you can do is you can look through it and you can find the areas that need to improve. And you can be like, okay, this isn't working. This is working. Ooh, I didn't realize I'm not doing this at all. I could try this out. So a lot of times our advisors will get up on stage in these mastermind meetings we do and they'll go through their sales process and everybody in the room is doing probably 80% of the same thing. But, but what, what they're doing is they're seeing the process written down. They're going, oh, I've never thought about that. You know, and, and so they're able to plug and play it. So that, when I'm thinking of processes, if you can document it, then you have a place to start. And that's going to lead me into the next area of operations. Is documentation, I think, is the thing that's lacking the most in this industry. It, it leads to why we're not adopting new technologies and automation and efficiencies is because we have lack of documentation. And it's because we started the industry like we all had the knack and we just did. We went and mm-hmm. it was all in our head and we just went, 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 went. And we hired people and just told them what to do. And then they went and did. And then we went and did. And then we kind of spread out. That's how you grow. The idea of, <laughs> of, of documenting your process is really great. It reminds me of the proven process, which is part of the book Traction and the, uh, the EOS operating system. It, it's such mm-hmm. a great way. We did that with one of our firms and we share it now with clients. We Within our technology firm, we do something called the mutual action plan. This is what we can expect. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to do now. This is what we're going to do next in three to seven days. This is what we're going to do next. Are you in line with this? Yes or no? If you're not, 
okay, that's fine. But if you are like, this is where you can expect we're going. It's such mm-hmm. a powerful tool, which then leads me over to operation. I mean, we talked about the importance of process, but where are the opportunities to help advisors with operations? Like, where is it that the firms that you talk to are lacking? And then where do they get to paint that picture of where firms can get to after having some training? Mm. Operations is a great topic for right now for financial advisors, <laughs> especially because there's there's many advisors I know who want to hire more good people and it's hard to find them. And one thing that for the operations side that I've heard a lot of our most successful advisors say is always, always have your ears open for good people that could join your firm. And, and as entrepreneurs, we're never going to have the budget we need to go where we want to go. We're never going to have like a perfect budget for where we want to go. But if you are talking to people, you know, people through your church, your community center, through just different networks you have in your life. And you find out about somebody who is a great fit. Usually the best hires are people that aren't looking for a job right now. If you're, if you find out about somebody who's like that, talk to them. Even if you don't have the perfect job description written, talk to them and then go back and see if you can do that exercise we talked about at the beginning about what tasks right now are, can someone else take on that are important tasks that help the revenue of the firm, that help the firm be able to help our clients, but that I'm not good at and that no one on our team is really excellent at. And maybe you can build out a job description that's perfect for that person. So the first thing I would say in operations is always have your ear to the ground for good people. And I would also say what was said before, have your workflows documented. Know what, what do you do? I was just talking with a, a lady at our, at our church last night. They were doing their vacation Bible school. And she said, man, we had COVID last year and we have actually haven't done vacation Bible school in two years. And she said, one thing we realized is how much we don't have our processes written down. We kept throughout this process of being like, oh, we need to do this. Oh, we need to do that. Oh, we need to do that. And she's like, we need to have a folder. And she called it, she called it their bus folder. It's like, what happens if you get hit by a bus? Can you still have the thing happen? And so I would say a financial advisor needs to have a, a bus file for what they do. Even if they're you know, the primary selling person or if every marketing person, you need to have it documented what you do. There's some software I've heard suggested. There's a thing called Sweet Process that you can use to document these kind of things and pass on to your team. I think sweetprocess.com is, is the website. I was looking at them. I've, I've not used them. I can't vouch for how good they are or not, but I've had it recommended in the past to me before. But it could be as simple as just having a, a pad of paper beside you every day and write down everything you do. But, but know what you do. Know what happens in the firm. And that'll help you know who's the next hire or maybe who can take on certain tasks. But if you don't have awareness of of the things that happen every day in your firm and everyone's just kind of running from thing to thing, it's going to be hard to have a smooth operation, honestly. That's kind of where I was going. Like the sweet process is, that sounds like a great technology to have. I think what the challenge that firms have with documenting processes is like, where do I even start? I do so much in my day and I have yeah. so much in my head of how to get it done. Like I talk to advisors and like I can see it. I come from a, a family run shop where my dad started it. He had it all in his head and like to get it out and like to get even like the people that have been here for 20 years to get it out of their head. It's such a hard thing for them to do. And mm. so I'm curious, like where do you even start? Like if I have this sweet process technology, it's great, but I don't even know where to start to start documenting what I'm doing because it's like so overwhelming. It's like, I've been doing it for 20 years. I know so much, like it's so hard to document it. So what's your advice on that? For the advisors I work with, what I've seen work is you're not going to delegate everything at the beginning. Find a place to start and then the snowball grows. Mm. 
if you're if you're a financial advisor and and your firm is you know bringing in let's say a million dollars in revenue every year, and you've got a team, then you should not be making coffee in the morning for the for the office. You know, I mean, a lot of things like that. Like if the copier runs out of paper, there are things like that. Someone who's make who's making fifteen twenty dollars an hour could do for your firm and could be very fulfilled in that. And there's many people who even enjoy it. But I would bet as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as someone who's you know in this financial realm, those aren't things you enjoy even. And also they're not the best use of your time because if you weren't out there making coffee or you weren't running to the store to buy the snacks for the office, if you were sitting in your office, even just doing nothing and just thinking, that thinking time could be worth hundreds of dollars an hour, maybe even thousands, mm-hmm. because you might come up with the idea that takes your firm to where you want it to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. It's not always doing. It sometimes as an owner and as an entrepreneur, as a CEO type person in your firm, thinking time is valuable. And so I would say the first place to start is look at what you do in a day and look at the stuff that is easy to define. There's things that aren't, that aren't easy to define. What do I do when I'm sitting in the meeting with a client or with a prospect? Okay, that's that's more nuanced. I understand that. Even that, I, I would argue, could be documented, especially if you have like a, a sub-advisor or associate advisor to sit with you for a few months. They could write down what you do, and then you sit with them while they try and do it. But even that, if you don't do that, you can still take off all the other things that we all do every day that, if we're honest, we don't need to be doing. Yeah. Preach, man. Preach. Amen to that, man. I am uh, I'm in that boat trying to figure that out because, you know, the, the power of thinking time is so powerful. But we we grew up in a society and I don't know where it started. I think it may have been in our education system, which isn't a, I'm not it's not a fault of it. It's just the way that it was, is that we always yeah. felt we had to be doing something and we, we never got valued for sitting and thinking. You know, if you sat and think thought you were the, the loner that was that, that didn't care. And that mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as, as I've matured and professionally, the thought and to be able to sit there and maybe some days you don't, nothing comes to mind, but to be able to read and bring things together, when you do get that idea, it could be you know, massively beneficial to your firm, to your clients, to solving major complex problems. And we feel we have to have the answers right away. And I think that, that that's such a, a negative of our society today because yeah. we see everybody and we like, oh, well, they all have the answers. They know what they're talking about. But I can't sit and think. I got to be doing, and you don't need to be doing. Thoughtfulness is action. So, so interesting, man. So interesting. Real quick, and then I want to I want to close things out because you got work to tend to. Technology is massive. We talked about sweet processes, uh, the technology there, but technology and wealth Mm -hmm. management's just massively blowing up. It's just there's so much there. It's so hard to keep up to date with. How do you stay up with it all, and how do you help your advisors? stay up with the evolving technology landscape because you don't want to get behind, but you also don't want the shiny ball effect. And so that's like a really mm-hmm. tough balance uh, of doing it. So what what have you seen work for you and on your side? Yeah, I would say before you look at technology, you need to have a good why on your whole business. As a financial advisor, let's say you're sitting there as any entrepreneur, if anyone has a business, let's say your business is anything, little restaurant you have in your hometown, whatever it is, do you work for your business or does your business work for you? And as an as a entrepreneur, I think it's so easy after we get started and we get running and we got all these things going on and we're trying to you know, make it happen. We had this dream. All of a sudden, four, five, ten years down the road, if we're honest, our business is really our boss. Our business is really running us. And we're just waking up kind of responding to it every day. And the dream, and this is where we take our advisors, is it's not just about doing more collecting more assets or bringing in more revenue. It's about having a business that works for you, 
that that is your business. And so when I look at technology, you could easily get bogged down with technology that you don't need. And on the flip side of that, you could keep technology that it's time to replace, but you don't replace it because you're afraid. But if you have that mindset right of what's the purpose of this business? What am I doing here? Then all of a sudden, I think your view of a lot of things, workflows, your team, all of that will kind of come into play. But I'll start with kind of answering your question about technology. I would say technology is only good if it allows you to spend more time doing the things you love and are best at. And same with your team. If it doesn't do that, then it's probably not good tech for you. I think it's a pretty simple filter to put it through. There's more we can talk about on that for sure. But that's kind of a good filter, I'd say. <laughs> I love that. I think that that's so so powerful, right? Does it allow you to do more of what you do? And then this business, what we should be doing is building relationships. And if it allows us to spend more time to build deeper relationships with our current clients or more relationships with more clients, then mm -hmm. it's powerful. But if it doesn't, then what the heck are we using it for? Like, what are yeah. we using it for? It doesn't do us any right. good. It doesn't do us any good. That is our value prop. And I think we all have to remember that in this business. Our value prop is our relationship that we have with our clients, not our investment management. Yep. Not only that, investment management's needed. Financial planning is needed, but the relationship is what differentiates us all, and, and that's what we have to be really good at. That's right. Dave, this uh, this has been amazing, man. This is a really great conversation. I see why you're effective and so good at what you do, and I'm going to let you get back there, but I got two questions that I ask everybody out the gate. They can't leave podcasts without answering them. I do these conversations because I love to learn. I've learned a ton from you today. Hmm. and. I think that, and one other area that I always learn from is books. And so I always like to ask smart people, what books are they reading? What's a book that has impacted you in a positive way that you think everybody else should read as well? Well, I mentioned the Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. That that was a transformative book for me. It was it was incredible. I'm sure you've had folks talk about Brene Brown before. I don't know if you have or not, but mm -hmm. Brene Brown, I think is just great in terms of understanding how to just live a life that's full, a full good life. Our team towards the end of last year read a book called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And it, she talks a lot about that vulnerability piece. And also she even goes into that continuum of what's too vulnerable, what's not vulnerable enough. You know, how do you actually build trust with your vulnerability and how do you, you know, access more vulnerability through trust. And so it was, it was a great looking at, at helping our team. I noticed our team dynamics pretty different after we all read it together. I'm on a team of nine over here at Advisors Excel. We read that book. It was fantastic. So Daring Greatly is one, but I'm also throwing the other one I said earlier on there, Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. So yeah, uh, I will send you a check because you gave us two. So I will. Uh, your check is in the mail for that as well. Uh, and then the last question I have, and I got this give credit where credit's due, is from Barron's Conferences. They do it at, at the end of every session. What's one piece uh -huh. of actionable advice from our conversation today that you think listeners should take away and that would they could implement tomorrow and, and really better themselves and their firm and their clients' lives? Okay, here's a quick way to get visibility. This is something that I've done in my life multiple times, actually. It's probably something you could do every year or once a quarter, even if you wanted to. But when you go through your day, either have somebody help you with this or you do it, write down everything you do, uh, write it down. And then after the end of a week, Look at everything you do and either say, ask, ask two questions about every task. Are you passionate about it? And is it something that helps you build in your proficiency? I took this from Michael Hyatt. I'll give credit where credit's due as well. This is from that free to focus course, but it's a very doable task and you can be as broad as you want. Like you could just do client meeting as the name of the task or whatever it is, but list out two things about it. Are you passionate about it or not? And is it something that actually moves the dial for your business, for your goals in your life or not? And if you have that clarity built out, that'll help you know how to do a lot more in your life. 
Yeah. That that could be a life-changing, altering trajectory tip for people. If you can do that effectively, I think it can change your trajectory of, of the impact that you're making in your firm and for your clients. So I, I love that. Dave Lagu, man, you're a special person. I really appreciate you spending time with us. And I learned a lot, like I said, and I'm sure our listeners did as well. So I, I ask you, for those of us that want to continue following you and all the great things that you're doing for this industry and all the great things you have to say, how can we stay in touch? How can we follow you and, and, and be a part of your network? Yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on LinkedIn. That's where I primarily reside. I don't know if you want to list this in or not, Matt, or edit it out. But uh, <laughs> my email is just dave.legu at advisorsexcel.com. We do a lot of different mastermind meetings with our advisors, and I see a lot of folks join in. And just because they're exposed to what other people are doing, they're able to grow their business, not just in premium, but in the amount of freedom in their lives. They're able to get that kind of control over their business where their business was controlling them before. So uh, dave.legu at advisorsexcel.com. That's kind of the main way I talk is email and LinkedIn. I've kind of distanced myself from a lot of social media lately after doing those exercises of listing out all the things I do every day, <laughs> yep, <laughs> if I'm <yep>. honest. <laughs> that's good. And uh, we're not going to edit that out because that's a way for people to get in touch with you if they want us to, to keep the conversation going. And that's what I want is to create a community. And I hope we can do that here on Bridging the Gap. And what you're doing is is, is that path as well. So Dave Lagu, thank you so much, man, for joining us today on Bridging the Gap. I really appreciate your time. So thanks so much. And you stay well and, and stay warm. Or cool. You too, Matt. Actually out there. Yeah, you stay cool too down there in the Atlanta area. Yeah, definitely. Turn on the AC, get, drink a glass of ice water. And uh, thanks for the time. Appreciate it, Matt. Well, do, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 